Welcome in to another edition of Divorce Force Podcast. My name is Adam, and in this special edition of this show, I would like to take this time to highlight some of the best of 2022. And since I started the podcast in March of 2020, I had no idea where I could take the podcast, no expectations. It was just about getting started and helping others on their career journeys after college. And since then, I've had phenomenal guests, over 100 shows. It's been incredible, almost at 150, not quite there yet. But it's been an amazing ride, and I hope you enjoy the special edition. In this first clip, I collab with Meg Riley, who has 2.2 million followers on TikTok, as we perform one of her favorite skits as a content creator since she started on TikTok. Enjoy. All right, so before we sign off, I want to just do a tribute to one of your posts you did on TikTok, uh, the Chick-fil-A video. If you haven't seen it, our listeners haven't seen it, you do a Chick-fil-A video, and it's amazing, one of the one of your comedians that you love. Um, so we're going to get right into it here. I'm going to start us off, and then you'll continue. Let's get it going. I'm going to start off. So I love my wife, but her stories suck. She came home one day and was like, Oh, my God. I went to Chick-fil-A. It was so good. But first of all, let me tell you, I was in the car and I was driving. I was like, oh, my God, I want to go to Chick-fil-A because I was so hungry because I've been on that diet. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I deserve it. I've been so good to myself. And I saw a Chick-fil-A and I was like, oh, my God, God wants me to have a Chick-fil-A. So I went and I pulled into that Chick-fil-A, but that Chick-fil-A was closed. And I was like, oh, my God, why is it closed? It's not Sunday. It was a new Chick-fil-A. It's not even open yet. So forget it. I guess I'm not gonna <laughs> go down Chick-fil-A. I'm gonna stick to my diet. And then I saw another Chick-fil-A and I was like, God does want me to have a Chick-fil-A. So I went ahead and pulled to that Chick-fil-A and the girl was like taking my order. Oh my God. She had the cutest little earrings. They were like little Christmas trees. <laughs> That's my favorite part. They were like little Christmas trees. And I was like, where do you get those? And she said Hobby she said, Lobby. Hobby Lobby. Away. She got them at Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby. At Hobby Lobby. I mean, maybe they sold the stuff to them. I mean, you can make them, make them at Hobby Lobby. But, but but she did not buy them at Hobby Lobby. So anyway. So anyway, oh my god, I love it. Oh my god, that was amazing. Oh my god. In Me- my <laughs> Miller Lite open. <laughs> oh my god, that was amazing. It was like there was no way she got them at Hobby Lobby because I was just at Hobby Lobby. But they don't sell earrings at Hobby Lobby. I mean, maybe she they sold the stuff to make them. I mean, you, you can, can make them at Hobby Lobby, Hobby but Lobby. she did not buy them at Hobby Lobby. So anyway, oh my God. I love that. <laughs> I know. If y'all don't follow him, like, or y'all aren't familiar with this comedy, he is so funny. And I'm going to do a little plug for him because, shout out, he has a Netflix. Like, all of that relatable, like, series is on Netflix. Like, y'all have got to watch it. And if it's on, um, yeah. I'm going to check that out. And I do appreciate that. It was a lot of fun. And, May, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, a pleasure. And I'm sure we'll do this again sometime. Heck, yeah. And thank y'all so much for listening. And- In this next clip, I speak with Caitlin Fournier, 
who is Director of Fan Engagement and Community Relations at the University of Oklahoma. And during the interview, I asked her about the challenges of switching majors and pursuing what she was really passionate about. Yeah, um, my mom's a pharmacist. So, um, I mean, I think any kid in high school who was good at school is expected (laughs) to do something and, you know, become a lawyer or go be a doctor or go do, you know, some, some things like that. And so I think that was kind of always the expectation, not that anyone put that on me, but I put that on myself. Um, and I was always interested in it. So it's not like it was something I didn't want to do. Um, shadowed a couple things, obviously being a dancer, I was in and out of physical therapy all the time. So that was very interesting to me. Um, and so just kind of going to college, that was always the mindset. I was biochemistry major with the plans to go, um, be a surgeon, um, (laughs) and then kind of just did this internship just for something to do while I was home for the summer. Um, and it was kind of, a holding a mirror to your face moment and say like, you really love this. How much would you really love, mm-hmm. you know, not that I don't want to help people and become a physician and, and serve people in that way, but why not do it on a different scale and a different platform and make people smile and make people have a good day in a completely different way. Um, I love the fan facing atmosphere of my role um, and enhancing the fan experience and using community relations um, as kind of the philanthropic avenue of the sporting world. Um, so combining two of my loves, that was kind of the, the deciding factor of this may not make as much money one day, but I'll at least be happy. Um, and there will always be something new every single day. Um, so that was just kind of the decision I came and my parents were super supportive. They, like I said, they never put any pressure on me to, to choose the medical route by any means, but, um, to make that switch pretty, I don't know if it's really late in your college career. People change majors all the time, but I mean, I was well into my degree path. Um, (laughs) And so all of those kind of bounced into electives and I kind of had to start over and do it pretty quick and still graduate in four years. And Mississippi state was super accommodating with that. But um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a a come to Jesus moment, if you will, of this is going to make you happy for a long Mm -hmm. time. Um, and it's combining two of your loves and, you know, they always say, if you, if you love what you do, it'll never be work. Um, exactly. It it kind of worked out. (laughs) In this next clip, I interview Lauren Morris, who is the general manager of the Vipkin Experience in Aberdeen. And I have had the pleasure of working with Lauren, whether that be during my internship or as in a seasonal employee with Fukin Baseball. And her dedication and passion for youth sports is second to none. And during the interview, I asked Lauren, while she was in college, how she was able to carve her path into the sports industry. When I went to uh, college, I went to Shenandoah University, and I I still, to this day, I, I like the anatomy and science of things um like if people see blood or anything like that that doesn't gross me out or anything (laughs) like that so I thought I was uh I wanted to be a nurse and um did some things in high school to to get me there and got into the program for nursing which I think ended up being the right thing because you know immediately you were 
uh, in clinics and at different places already starting a very small career in the nursing industry. And I quickly realized that that wasn't for me. Um, It just, I was also doing, we call it work study and, you know, trying to pay some bills in college already (laughs) or to have some spending money. And the work study program I was in was helping out at sporting events. And I think that just being in that type of element, whether, you know, obviously working, whether it was basketball games, like the hospitality area, and then also being in nursing, I'm like, this just isn't for me. I don't see myself doing that. I love sports. You know, why would I do something different? You know, if it's something that you love, I think that's the saying that we all, you know, want to find is something that we love because it doesn't feel like work at all. Um, So I think that really guided my career. Um, And it was nice at school. We had a really neat opportunity. We had a sports management program. Um, So it was an easy transition uh, for myself. In this next clip, I speak with Luke Jones, who went from being a teacher to now a writer and radio host for WNST.net. And in the interview, I asked him what he wished he would have known or was better prepared for before getting into the sports media industry. Because I was in such a unique position that I didn't, you know, just walk into a full-time opportunity, Mm -hmm. I was really willing to learn new things. I I think the advice I would give someone else, and and again, I mean, these were things I picked up along the way because I didn't have a degree uh, in mass communications, didn't have a degree in journalism, you know, even though I'd taken classes my first couple years in college, is I think you need to be willing to learn how to do just about anything. Uh, I think the worst thing that uh, a young you know, a college student right now or someone that's aspiring to go to college for sports media would be to just pigeon your pull yourself into one specific job like, oh, I want to host my own sports talk radio show or, oh, I want to be on TV or, oh, I want to write uh, for the local newspaper or uh, you know, whatever it might be. I want a podcast. You know, really, the job has become kind of all of those things wrapped into, you know, kind of combined. And that doesn't mean uh, you're going to do all those things at the same time uh, all day, every day. Uh, But I can say since I've started my career that I've done radio, I've done writing, uh, you know, I've been print, you know, I've had, I've been published uh, a couple times in magazines and and things of that nature. Uh, I've done a little bit of TV. Uh, So, you know, you have to be prepared to do all those things. And I think uh, it, it isn't just the case of, you know, being in front of the camera or being behind the microphone. It's also learn how to do things behind the scenes. You know, I, I learned how to ed- I learned how to edit audio. I learned how to edit video. I, you know, I certainly learn best practices and am always trying to learn best practices as it pertains to social media. Uh, I've learned how to use WordPress as far as uh, website editing on the back end. So, you know, these are things that 17-year-old Luke, you know, uh, thinking about wanting to be a sports writer, you know, wouldn't have thought about it in those terms. Would have just said, okay, I'll, you know, write for a newspaper or maybe write for ESPN.com or whatever it might be. So, you know, so, uh, again, that was something that I learned pretty quickly because I, you know, I didn't have any other choice if I was going to try to get my foot in the door and, and be able to do it for a living. So uh, that would be my best advice is just you know, to learn how to do everything and to keep an open mind, uh, you know, even if it's not, the, the, the perfect position that you want, if it's at a, a media company that 
you feel uh, you, you have the, the potential to move around, move up the, the, the food chain, so to speak, and potentially move into that ideal fit uh, that, that you see yourself being in. You know, don't be afraid to, to take something that's a little bit more uh, outside your comfort level a little bit. You know, step outside the box a little bit. In this next clip, I speak with Ashley Stone, who's the Associate Athletic Director at Oakland University. And during the interview, I asked her about being laser-focused no matter what goal she was going after, whether that was in college or professionally. And it really resonates with me because no matter where you are in life, whether you're just getting started or even at the executive level, Always being laser focused on goals is important. And there's always going to be outside distractions, whether that's personally or professionally. But being laser focused on no matter what goal you want to achieve in life is extremely important when achieving your goals. So enjoy the clip. And here's Ashley. Talk about the focus, because I feel like it's you have to be focused and like leave the distractions out the door. I mean, it's easier said than done, of course, and I'm sure you've had those moments. But talk about just being able to stay grounded or focus, no matter what role you had. You just were laser focused in that and knew that there was going to be rewards, no matter what you were doing. Yeah, so I think part of my focus and discipline just come from uh, the family that I was raised in, but I've always been focused on setting goals. And for those who don't know, it's like when you set a goal, whether it's a short-term or long-term goal, the more times that you look at it, right, the more that you are, you know, seeing that goal, you're internalizing it, the more focused you're going to be to achieve that. And so in college, I set semester goals, years goal, like year goals every single year. And I was able to accomplish every single one of those, some of which I even thought were outside of my reach. But I think when you have a goal and you have a calling in life and you know that that is 100% what you were, you know, put on this earth to do. For me, that focus was natural. Um, I think there were definitely times, you know, that I've maybe wanted to do other things or, you know, not have been as focused or disciplined. Um, but to your point, it's like when you are, and that pays off, you look back at, at your experience and you're like, you know, that's a reason I studied more, or this is a reason I did this, or this is a reason I did that. And lo and behold, by keeping your head down, doing the right thing, staying focused, amazing doors open for you, doors that you wouldn't even think are possible. In this next clip, I speak with Pete Kushner, who is the Senior Director of Business Development at Events DC, which is the official sports authority of our nation's capital. And during the interview process, I asked him about how important is it to have that relationship with the hotels as events come to the city. Enjoy. Yeah, it's extremely important. Um, you know, tournaments, uh, some of the tournaments come and go, uh, some of the events come and go, but the hotels are going to be in our city forever. And <laughs> so we, we need to make sure that that relationship is as solid as possible. And we would never um, kind of give a hotel the wrong impression of an event uh, when it's coming in. We're extremely open and honest with them from the beginning. Uh, there are times that we are not allowed to divulge who the client is right away, and they have trust in us that we have their best interests at heart when we're bringing something to the table. Um, you know, sometimes they're 
are tough conversations to be had to say that a client is not going to choose their property. Um, and other times there's, you know, good conversations to be had that the client wants to take over their property. Um, and, uh, and then there's always conversations in the middle, but that relationship really is a, a must have for, for a uh, convention and sports authority to, to have with their local stakeholders. In this next clip, I speak with a vice president of product at Event Pipe, which is a leader in helping hotels and event producers make their booking process seamless. And during the interview, I asked him about what are some of the pain points that event producers are facing in today's market. Uh, obviously, time, I would imagine, is one of them. But what are some of the most pressing pain points that uh, prospective clients or even current clients face uh, mm -hmm. when, you know, when they want to use, you know, this software to help with their tournament needs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, time is, is certainly one of the most important, probably the most important, uh, just making that, <laughs> yeah, that process as efficient as possible, right? There's just so much that goes into it. And again, I think this whole world was new to me a year ago, and I sometimes am still blown away by all of the <laughs> the various things that go into event housing and just the nuance around the metrics that need to be tracked and um, the back and forth with hotels to, um, you know, make sure that you're getting, you're getting paid on uh, the right numbers and all that. So, you know, building a system that is better than the alternatives uh, which include, you know, back and forth over emails and spreadsheets and that type of thing <laughs> um, is, you know, that's, that's hugely important. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, um, you know, I think there are a lot of value props that we present, especially to event producers looking to, to maximize their revenue out of their events and, you know, payment facilitation options and, you know, how they can, um, you know, we, for example, we offer the ability to, um, to charge a rebate upfront, right? So lots of times these event producers will get a rebate from a hotel where they get a kickback for bringing such a large event to a, a particular place, um, but, you know, in order to do that, you kind of have to chase down the hotel after the event's over and get them to cut you a check. And, it, you know, it works, but it's it's time consuming. Um, so you could set up an event pipe a mechanism to just charge that at the, t at the time the guest is making the reservation, for example. So that's one of the ways that we, you know, not only help them kind of change up their cash flow and, and get some of that money up front, but hopefully save them time uh, in having to, to chase down hotels after an event to, to get that, um, that rebate money. That's just one example, but yeah, you know, really maximizing revenue, saving time, um, making their, their guests happy, uh, showcasing their brand, uh, making their hotel partners happy. Those are sort of the, the main things that, that folks are concerned about or, or focused on when we're having conversations with them. And this next clip, I had the pleasure of interviewing Malin Vu who is the Director of Talent Acquisition for the Cleveland Guardians. And during the interview, I wanted to ask about how you can prepare for an interview, but not only that, what are some of the missteps people take during the interview process? Because in today's world, whether you're doing interview virtually, in person, over the phone, it's one of the most important pieces to the hiring process. So I hope you take something from Maylin. She was a great guest, and I hope you enjoy.
the clip. When an, a question is asked, I find candidates, um, they lose their place of how they answer and they can't drive it back to the question that's being asked. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, yes, they go off maybe on a tangent and yes. like to the question. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I could ask, and this has happened more than once to me, you know, I could ask a very simple question of, tell me a little bit about yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all I ask. It's it's probably one of the most difficult questions, simple question, but very difficult for candidates to a- uh, answer. And many times I've actually had a candidate who go goes probably 20, 30 minutes answering that one question. Oh, no. And I clocked it. I've done it a couple of times where I clocked it. I'm like, man, that took. 30 minutes just for that one question. And they gave me everything I need to know. Like I didn't want to ask any other question during that time. Um, oh, yes. So that's the one where I was saying, you know, candidates kind of lose uh, track and they get very long winded and they don't, they don't know how to get back on track. Um, I would say one advice to try to get back on track is try to jot down notes, you know, have a pad folio with you, some sort of notepad and just jot down on a, that sheet of paper of what the question's being asked. Um, so that way you could kind of look back to it, refer back to it. And you're like, okay, this is what I'm really trying to answer um, and such. And that could be for any question that's given to you. You know, it's, I know from nerves, I know from just maybe not confident in your ability to answer that people do go off on a very random path. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I think by having something jotted down, hopefully you can kind of refer back to it and kind of get back to that. In this final clip, I speak with Janice Burke, who is the CEO of the Houston Sports Authority in Harris County. And it was amazing to hear her background and understand what it means to win events and bids to bring in certain sporting events or events to a city. And during the interview, I asked Janice about, of course, the 2026 World Cup coming to Houston and other events she has helped bring to the city and how it all got started when she first got the job as CEO of the Houston Sports Authority. Enjoy. Well, the board really hired me because of my sales and marketing background. And they really, you know, we have these new state-of-the-art buildings, um, beautiful venues, um, but they really wanted to put Houston on the map, an international map, as well as national, of, um, as one of the best sports towns or, or cities to do, to host sporting events. And um, I left, I don't know, we were probably at the time close to 100 employees. Um, and so, you know, I knew I was walking into a smaller organization that we would have to build. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time um, saying, okay, well, who normally, I looked around and I'm thinking, okay, there's not very many people here and we're not putting much money towards us. So who, you know, normally like writes your press releases? (laughs) Oh, well, that's what we hired you to do. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, And who normally, you know, goes on the sales calls and, you know, and bids for the events and well, that's what we hired you to do. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so it was, 
it was every all fingers were pointing to me for everything. And then I said, all right, well, let's take a look at the budget. And they had um, about $30,000 allocated where I had in San Antonio had millions of dollars to brand wow. the city, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we started out um, really uh, taking small steps. And then I remember saying, okay, why don't we go bid for the AAU Junior Olympics? It's it's really big. It'll bring about 50,000 people to town, about 15 different sports. And it's aimed at kids between ages 5 and 18 that compete in these various sports. I think Houston could host it. I know them um, because I had booked this in Detroit. And um, I just knew, knew the people making the decisions. And so I went to my board and they were like scared out of their minds. They're like, no, no, no. Like we've hosted, you know, the bowling, NCAA bowling championships and <laughs> um, things that much smaller where we bring in several hundred people. But Janice, there's no way we can pay a bid fee of a couple hundred thousand dollars. And there's no way that we can host, I don't think, with the staff we have something that large. And so I said, um, okay, well, what if I just go partner with the Convention and Visitors Bureau? That was my world. I had worked with um, CVBs. I knew that they'd be interested. It's a lot of uh, hotel room nights filling up, you know, mm -hmm. all these hotels. And so I went and um, brokered a deal with them. They, they put up the bid fee dollars. I told them I'd do all the work and that I would pay them back at the end um, for the money they put forth. And um, so we did the event. It was really successful. It was one of the best they had ever had. Texas is a really big uh, market for them. And the attendance was great off the charts. And so anyway, um, and, and I did that event mostly with volunteers and interns back then because we didn't have a staff yet. <laughs> and so, um, and so at the end, I send a check over to the convention business bureau, thank them for being my partner and stepping up and, you know, putting that money up and believing that we could do it. And, um, he tells me the head of the CVB at that time, um, said, Janice, I never thought you would pay us back. <laughs> he said, I really thought, eh, it's still <laughs> worth it. Cause it was so many people coming to town. It was great for all our hotel members and our restaurants and, um, transportation, you know, members. But he said, I honestly didn't think we'd ever see that money again. And when you brought that check, that was just icing on the cake. And, and so that really started our path. And I look back at that, that was over 16 years ago. And now there is nothing that our city or my board of directors doesn't think we can do. They believe in um, the mission and they believe that we can put on great sporting events. And so that was our humble beginnings, though. Well, that's a wrap on the best of 2022. And I hope everyone enjoyed these segments of some of the shows that I did last year. I've already launched some shows already for 2023. If you're interested in joining the show, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm always there. Feel free to connect and message me if you're interested. And also, just something to keep in mind, it's been a great ride. I couldn't do it without the support of all the guests, all the supporters of the show. It's been a great ride so far, and I can't wait to continue the journey.